Hello everybody, and welcome back to Mario Mavericks at Movies, a show where we talk smack about movies, except we mostly don't. We mostly praise the movies we see, unless it's a really bad movie, and today, arguably, we are seeing a very bad movie, and also, very unusually for this show, for the past couple episodes, we're actually releasing a podcast we recorded this year, albeit it's still a few months old at this point, and... Also, what better way to follow up last episode's Pokemon movie podcast with a podcast about its utter Kids WB contemporary uh, film adaptation of that contemporary that is. What is that contemporary that I speak of? Obviously, Yu-Gi-Oh! is the answer! Back to back, those were the two anime powerhouse franchises on Kids WB. Way back in the day, I associate them together very highly, and Yu-Gi-Oh! also had a theatrical film released to theaters in the US, commissioned by four kids, in fact, called Yu-Gi-Oh! The Pyramid of Light, which debuted in August of 2004, which I distinctly remember seeing in theaters with my brother. And earlier this year, Fathom Events released the movie in theaters again in March of 2018. Yu-Gi-Oh! The of Light graced theaters across the nation all over again. And V-Lord and I took this chance to see the movie in theaters. Not just seeing it in a theater, but seeing it at the same theater. We saw it oh so many years ago. The very exact same theater. Not the same auditorium, but the same theater. It was a very special occasion and made for a very special review that we knew we had to record, even though we had some backlog episodes. Fun fact, Colton was supposed to be on this episode. Like, he expressed a lot of interest in discussing Yu-Gi-Oh! The Pyramid of Light with us, but sadly, he could not see it in the theater. And when he suggested, oh, you know, I'll just watch it at home, and like, no! That misses the point entirely. The point is that we saw this movie that we saw in a theater as we were kids. Again, in the same theater as adults. That's what made revisiting this movie special. And I know what you're thinking, but wait a minute, Lon Ramiyasha. The Yu-Gi-Oh! movie sucks. It's notoriously awful. And, well, while I don't disagree, what we have to say about this film may surprise you. But I'll leave those questions unanswered for now. You're just going to have to listen to our discussion of Yu-Gi-Oh! The Pyramid of Light. I think it's time to... Welcome to Mugamerics at Movies, a show where we don't talk smack about movies except for the rare occasions that we do. I'm, I'm Ramayasha. And I'm VLRGTZ. And today it's time to do 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 because we watched Yu-Gi-Oh! Yo, 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 on the big screen! Man, we haven't done that since... Last year! Wow, such a long time, hasn't it been, V-Lord? Yeah, but that One Yu-Gi-Oh whole movie. year? Yeah, but that Yu-Gi-Oh! movie was actually good. That's true. But what was special about the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie we saw in theaters this year was that it was a re-release of a movie that we saw in theaters in our childhoods. 
Isn't that right, Wee Lord? We saw a movie that we have not seen in over a decade. And that movie was the very first theatrical Yu-Gi-Oh! movie. In fact, a movie commissioned by four kids entertainment themselves for the North American audience. We saw Yu-Gi-Oh! The movie. Subtitled, Pyramid of Light. Yay! You're so excited, Wee Lord. I can totally hear the enthusiasm in your voice. You weren't excited to see Yu-Gi-Oh! The Movie Pyramid of Light on the big screen. A movie fondly remembered as a classic just like Pokemon the first movie? Or Digimon our war game? Sid, no one thinks that. No of one. Of course no one thinks that. I'm very surprised that they decided to show this movie on the big screen again. Because even when this movie came out, back in August 2004, it was a flop. The movie barely grossed more than its budget. It got a wide theatrical distribution in like 2400 screens. It did not do very well. It is like the third highest grossing anime film in the U.S. box office, but it made a total 30 million gross worldwide, only 20 million in the U.S. and Canada. And compare that to the worldwide gross of the first few Pokemon films, which grossed 363 million. Like, it was a failure compared to the Pokemon films box office. I mean, granted, you could argue, oh, $20 million, that isn't so bad for an anime film. I mean, it's third highest grossing in the U.S. box office. But here's the thing. Back in 2004, it was released on 2,400 screens. And nowadays, anime movies don't get released on that many screens. And that doesn't happen. Like, I think that Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F, that was only, like, 800 screens. That was definitely less than 1,000 screens. Yeah, like, for, I remember for the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie, it was basically, like, a standard the- theatrical release. Like, Yeah, like it, the first three Pokemon films, it was a wide theatrical release. It was given, like, the, it was shown in the same amount of theaters as you would go to see, like, your average animated film from Disney. Like, it was treated like as a legit, like, family movie that you were supposed to take your kids to see. But no one did. Because, quite frankly, I think parents just did not want to see that on the big screen. Because they couldn't understand Yu-Gi-Oh! And it, Yu-Gi-Oh! I guess was not the phenomenon that Pokemon was. I mean, even with the Pokemon movies, they saw diminishing returns on each theatrical screening for those first three movies. But... I think another factor against the Pyramid of Light when that was shown in theaters is that Yu-Gi-Oh! was past its big height of, like, popularity at that point. I mean, it was still popular for sure, but, like, it came out in 2004, this movie, and the show came out in, like, 2001. So really, to hit that sweet spot, they should have shown this in, like, 2002, because that would be the height of Yu-Gi-Oh! Mania. Yeah. But in 2004, like, that's when people were starting to leave the show, because that was when Battle City ended in the uh, U.S. showing of the anime, 
And then they were going to the Dragon's Ark, and, you know, that Phil Oric lasted a year that no one really liked. And that lost a lot of people. A lot but of people will stop watching that show. Calcos. Yeah, that entire arc weaned a lot of people off the show, and they stopped watching. And this movie came out before that arc, I think, was airing on TV, but it was after Battle City still. So, it was not coming out at the right time, because Yu-Gi-Oh! was already, like, a thing for a few years. It was not a hot new commodity. If it had came out, like, within a year of the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime coming out over here, it might have done a lot better. It might have done more comparably to Pokemon, the first movie, as a success story. But that was not the case. But why did we go and see this movie in theaters again if it wasn't a very good movie? Because we basically see all the anime movies that are shown in theaters. That is true, but there was another very special reason. Because we were able to see this movie at the very same theater that way back in 2004 we saw the movie in as kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, years ago, shit, we, we saw Yu-Gi-Oh! the movie in that same theater. And it was in a much bigger auditorium, and that theater was packed back in 2004, because all the kids in our community, at least, did want to go see that movie. And I remember that theater being full. I remember we walked into that movie late, actually. We walked in right as it was kind of starting, and... Yugi was battling Kaiba at the beginning, and they were showing, like, the shots of all the secondary characters kind of watching that battle shown on the big screen. So we kind of came in past that opening prologue where they gave that backstory on Anubis and stuff, but we still didn't miss a whole lot. But, you know, I, all those memories of our original theatrical experience with this movie came flooding back to me as we were sitting... In that same theater, not the same auditorium, but in that same theater, we were there, we were watching this movie again, and we were like, wow, this is quite a trip. This kind of makes me feel old. (laughs) 14 years later, I'm seeing this movie again, and I'm thinking, wow, I saw this as a kid, and it doesn't feel that long ago, but it was over a decade ago. My gosh. So that was what I think was very special about this theatrical screening. It was the ability to see this movie again at the very same theater we saw it the first time. And that is why I wanted to go see it, and that is why we're even recording this podcast. It's because of that special experience, of those special circumstances. Because otherwise, there's not that much to really say about this movie that hasn't already been said, right? Because you could have seen this movie at any time. It's been available for years. But what's special about this movie and seeing it on the big screen is just being able to see it in a theater again after having seen it as a theater as a child. Seeing it in the theater as a child and 14 years later you're back in the same theater and you're seeing it again and you're like, oh my gosh, these memories, man. That's what's special about it to me. And so that's actually why uh, Colton is not on this episode because we wanted to have him on he wanted to be on because he didn't get to be on dark side of dimensions last year but 
you know, he said he couldn't go see it in the theaters. And I was like, man, that's the whole point of the podcast is to see this movie in theaters again. <laughs> like, it does you, we could have seen this movie anytime I talked about it. But what's special about it is seeing it in the theater again. So that's why Colton, unfortunately, is not on this episode. But hopefully one day we can talk about a Yu-Gi-Oh! movie with him. But... To talk about the movie itself, and we'll, I guess, steer the conversation to that after we talk about our theater experience as, as always. Because compared to when we were kids, when we saw the movie 14 years ago, and we saw it in a packed house with other kids and parents who were groanings throughout the entire film, wondering, what the heck? is going on here. Like, I remember at the end of that movie, when we were walking out the theater when we were kids, our dad was like, that was nonsense. I didn't understand. What the heck? That was just terrible. And I was like, no! You just don't understand me! And that was awesome! (laughs) And then I watched it on VHS, like, a year later, and I was like, oh, this is intolerable. I cannot even get past the first half hour of this. But this was pretty special to, you know, see it in the theaters. And I thought a lot of other people would feel the same way, but (laughs) Uh, it was not a packed house like it was 14 years ago. We saw it in the smallest auditorium, and there were maybe, I want to say, five other people there. Yeah, that sounds about right. And three of those people were theater employees or at the very least by their conversations I gleaned that they at least knew people working at the theater yeah they were theater employees they, they've taken our tickets before I recall because they worked the ticket desk exactly so I don't know I think maybe they just saw this because they could see it for free because I guess it was during their break time or something and there weren't a whole lot of tickets sold anyway, so I, I'm bad management was like, okay, sure, you can watch this. You can really watch your Yu-Gi-Oh! To be fair, these guys were Yu-Gi-Oh! fans who were, like, pretty into the idea of watching this movie and like Yu-Gi-Oh! So, you know, it attracted those people, but, again, not a whole lot of people showed up. Actually... I think there were two more people, so bring that count to seven, because I definitely remember some more people walking into the movie when it was going. In fact, towards the climax, I think other, like, theater employees also showed up to watch, like, that final battle between Yugi, Kaiba, and Anubis. For some reason, they just randomly popped up at that moment to watch that. That was kind of interesting, but... Yeah, it was a very sparsely filled room. One of the lower uh, uh, turnouts for one of these Fathom event special screenings that we've gone to in quite a while. I think Samurai Jack was the only one with a more pathetic turnout because I think there was literally only one other person besides us at Samurai Jack. Yeah, like I think in terms of like amount of people, this had about the same as like Mazinger Z. Really? Mazinger Z. Where did you see Mazinger Z? At that exact same theater. Oh, well, I'm not that surprised about Mazinger Z because that's not exactly a household name like Yu-Gi-Oh! In terms of an anime property people would know. 
Mazinger Z never had a foothold over here. Like, you'd have to be a pretty knowledgeable anime fan to go and seek that out on your own. So I'm actually surprised that there were more people besides just you at that screening. I'm surprised that our local AMZ even picked that one up. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, it actually makes me kind of happy that a lot more people, I guess, turned out to that screening than I would have expected. Over here in New York, of course, we got lots of people at that Mazinger Z screening. That's because you have hipsters over there. That's true. We also, I guess, definitely have more... Artsy I don't know. people? Not artsy people. I'm talking about, like, Japanese immigrants, like, first generation kind of people. Or at least some older folks who definitely grew up in Mazinger Z. Because there was definitely a family who was, like, sitting right next to me. Where the dad was clearly... A guy who grew up with Muzzinger Z, and he was taking his kids to this movie, like, to share, like, his love of this franchise with He them. wanted them to see the Mazin go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Bringing the conversation back to Yu-Gi-Oh! and our theater experience, which... Oh boy, AMC, Edenberry, Mall 18, you sure know how to, how to do these Phantom Event special screenings right. These anime screenings totally go off without a hitch. They totally, totally, totally don't start late or anything. We totally aren't kept in the dark about when this, this is gonna, gonna actually play. I totally don't have a plastic bag full of free ticket passes because I keep getting refunds from Fathom event screenings. They didn't refund us for Yu-Gi-Oh! Though. Yeah, they didn't, but the last few I always get, like, refund tickets because they always mess up. Seriously, with, how, uh, with the frequency of these mess-ups, you would think that someone would have their act together by now, and it was even more surprising that this got messed up because we had employees in the audience who sh- would probably know, okay, w- what's up here? Let's go see what the problem is and get this started. But, you know, even they couldn't really do anything about it because I guess the guy who was supposed to take care of the screening was MIA. So for the first half hour, we just sat in that auditorium and the movie was not playing. It's I mean, The movie was half an hour late from the intended starting time. It took half an hour for it to actually start. Yeah, the thing is that I went, like, I remember going to Digimon, like, a few weeks back, like, at a different AMC, and they had the same problems. And I think it's just, like, maybe it's something, like, between, like, AMC and Fathom Events where they just keep messing up. I think that's just a coincidence. I just think that's poor management because the employees are not equipped to handle these special screenings and they don't remember that these are even happening because, you know, obviously you and I, we're like nerds who know when all of these special screenings are happening and are like super excited for them. But for the average moviegoer or theater employee, they're not thinking about the fact that today there's going to be this special screening that needs to happen at this time. They're like, oh, usually this movie plays at these showtimes in this theater. 
that's just the regular clockwork. And, you know, these special screenings, they interrupt, like, the flow, the status quo of what movies need to be shown that day. Uh, even then, though, the fact that it takes them so long to start the movie is just kind of frustrating when they literally just have to press a button. That is true. They literally have to press a button, and then the movie starts, and they don't have to do anything else. Like... They, like, AMC works off, like, these dish-style DVRs for their films now. There's yeah. no, like, actual, like, film, like, film, what do they fucking call them? Like, physical film. It's it's just yeah, a digital no file reels. that they just have to play. <laughs> yeah, they just have to click play. I don't know why they are so inattentive, considering that this has been a regular occurrence. I feel like this wasn't as bad as Pokemon when I think about it because with Pokemon, Pokemon I choose was you, a train that, wreck. That was a train wreck because there was a half an hour of pre-show for that movie. So they started playing the movie half an hour late, but then there's that half an hour pre-show. So the movie actually started an hour past this actual intended starting time. So Pokemon was bad uh for a big amount of reasons, uh, but I think even most right of all, there. and that was even more damning because that was a packed house for Pokemon. That was a sold-out house. They added more screenings for that movie because all the screenings were getting sold out because people were going to see that. Yu-Gi-Oh! I can understand a little better. There were seven people at this movie. Fine. Okay, I can maybe understand that you kind of let this slip your mind for this one-off, one-day thing. But at the same time, you've done anime screenings with quite a frequency for quite a while now. So you should really have someone who is passionate about this stuff, or at least can be tasked to remember to execute all this on time and all right because seriously this should not be happening every time there's a screening like this yeah so some funny things that happened during the wait for the movie to start oh god besides a bunch of you know it was kind of fun hearing people talk about uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! and their expectations for watching this movie again, and like, oh, I'm not caught up with Yu-Gi-Oh! and I fell out of Yu-Gi-Oh! at this point, and then also, the banter between the theater employees are in the audience who are like, uh, what's up? Did you talk to that guy? What, what's the deal? Why isn't this starting? Man, I should probably go do something if this doesn't start in the next couple minutes. Like, but the the funniest thing that happened was, like, the two guys who were sitting in front of us, first of all, they were talking... Man, I wonder if this is going to be dubbed or sub. I hope it's dubbed because that, the dub is funny. And then eventually one of those guys is like, Hey, I'm going to go and look up this movie online and then I'm going to hold up my phone and we can watch <laughs> it that way, guys. <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, this funny great. thing you tried to do. But, you know, everyone was like clapping. Like, yeah. Because he, he, he started up the movie on his phone. And it was like the opening, you know, uh, montage and preamble. 
But eventually, uh, I think it started to buffer. You know, you couldn't really see what was on screen on his phone. And it's like, ah, this is stupid. And then he stopped. But uh, I applaud that guy for trying to keep the enthusiasm going and trying to find a way for people to see the film that they paid money to see that was not being shown because of the inattentiveness and, quite frankly, incompetence of whoever was tasked to start this movie on time. But yeah, there were some fun uh, reactions, fun participation from the audience. But honestly, I probably was the most enthusiastic about this movie because I found myself laughing quite a bit during it. And so this is where we're going to talk about when we get into this actual movie discussion here, is that I remember this movie from when I watched it as a child again, being pretty garbage, being pretty hard to sit through, boring, just a headache-inducing mess. But watching this movie again as an adult, I gotta say, I really appreciate how funny it is. This movie is not good... For legitimate reasons, it's pretty shallow in terms of its story and pretty limited and janky in terms of animation. But in terms of pure entertainment value, it is a laugh riot from beginning to end for both intentional and unintentional reasons. Because there's legitimately funny jokes in the script alongside... You know, the goofy, groany, mid-2000s dub-level jets. Yeah. Like, this is definitely the height of what four kids did with their adapted scripts, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Though, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I think they wrote the script themselves, so they had a complete control over everything that went on in this. At the very least, the movie is just worth it for You're Not Me. You know, that's really interesting. Because, yes, You're Not Me is the best part, the best thing that has ever come out of this movie. It is a song that has stuck with me for 14 years, and I still love it, and I still can listen to it and go, Man, this completely captures the personality and aesthetic of Seto Kaiba. It is the perfect Edgelord song. And I freaking love it to this day. It is like the perfect meme song that you can put at the end of like a diss track or to play up being emo or angsty. It's just so perfect. I love it so much. And it does play in the movie. And I legitimately sang along the lyrics when Yordami started up in the movie. During that scene where Cobb is getting in his blue eyes plane and flying out to Pegasus' island and we're hearing You're Not Me in the background, I sang out loud in the theater the lyrics to that sound. We Lord, you can attest to this. I sang that out loud. I was unashamed to sing that song aloud because I fucking love that song. Meanwhile, I, I was cringing when it next started to him. Up. I was cringing next I mean, to him. <laughs> it was pretty cringy, but it had yeah. to be done. I clapped and hollered when it started up, and then I sang the song, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're not me. 
But it's honestly not in the movie that long. It's only in the movie for like a minute. Also, that also the and it's really for, random. Also, the like scene- it's just used for when Kaiba's flying to like Jewel Island, right? So it's like, why is that playing there? Like Kaiba's just going to see Pegasus, and it's not like anyone's telling him not to go see Pegasus and like criticizing him for doing that. Like no one's gonna contest. Seto Kaiba's decisions, at least not his employees. So I think they could have chosen a more appropriate song for, to play during that sequence. But I guess they really love that song, as they were right to, because it's like the best song that they ever created for Yu-Gi-Oh. Honestly, though, uh, that, that scene just looks way less badass than I remember. Yeah, it's it's goofy. He gets in a blue eyes play. It's like awesomely dumb. And but the it's animation, not the animation's like so like kind of limited that it's just the like... animation in this movie is. I wouldn't say it's non-existent, but it's pretty bare bones. In, in that scene, like, it there's... just looks like they took a paper piece of the blue eyes white dragon plate and just were moving it across the screen. Yeah, I mean that probably was what was happening. I mean that's <laughs> the case with a lot of the movement of the monsters. I feel is like. There were static images, and they just were, like, floating across the screen. Now, there were some interesting animations for a lot of the monsters, you know, when they're first being summoned and stuff. Like, Pegasus's two monsters were very lovingly animated, I felt. So those were a treat to watch. And then some of the monsters that were summoned later in the Kaiba Yugi duel were also kind of fun to watch, too. Like, the simpler the design was, the more animation they got really, which is to be expected. But, no, this was not a very well-animated film. Uh, One of the biggest problems with Yu-Gi-Oh! has always been the fact that, you know, the monster designs are so over-designed and complicated, it's really hard to animate them. So, I can understand with, like, the amount of highly detailed monsters that they'd have to cut corners... Like they did in the show, but, you know, with a theatrical film, you'd think that they'd try to do a little more impressive stuff with at least the Egyptian gods and the Shining Dragon and all that stuff. Honestly, though, it kind of looks worse than the show. (laughs) Like, I don't, like, I looked at, like, some little episodes of the show, like, a little while ago, I'm like, this looks way better than that movie. Yeah, honestly, the show does look better than the movie, at least a lot of episodes do. I don't know what the production schedule was like, but I'd have to believe that four kids did not manage the production of this movie well. Four kids probably just threw the money at the wall and just like, hey, make us a movie. Get back to us when you're done. (laughs) Yeah... I feel that Studio Gallup probably wasn't given the time they needed to really put this like, movie the justice. Effort into I it, mean, yeah. I, I don't really know the details of the Japanese release of this, but it was released in theaters in Japan in November, but then it aired on TV like two months later. So I'm thinking, oh wow, that got out of theaters fast in Japan. And you know how long a movie can last in theaters in Japan and the gap between when a movie is shown in theaters in Japan and when it gets the Blu-ray home video release and then, and when, then it when it goes TV. to yeah. TV. So 
it can be pretty slow if the movie's successful. But it got on TV two months after the Japanese theatrical debut, so that tells me this movie was not very well-loved or seen in Japan. It probably got, at best, a limited screening, and I can't imagine that the Japanese fandom thinks of it very kindly. I mean, this is a total American product. It was written by American writers. It was written by, basically, the president of Four Kids himself wrote this. Norman J. Grossfield. And he wrote the songs of the movie, too. So, yeah, this was pretty much an American-led production, and it was not well-written in terms of a story. It was, like, pretty basic. Like, Little Karibo did a tweet after he saw the movie, which was like, this movie, 75% of it takes place in one location. Oh shit, it does. <laughs> yeah, 75% of the movie is Yugi's duel with Kaiba. And then it transitions stops. to becoming a duel with Anubis. But yeah, it's just in that one building. They didn't then... really bother to like do anything afterwards. It literally ends in the fucking building. <laughs> yeah, it really does. There's no big like epilogue or anything. Like Kaiba just leaves and then Yugi has his final line about, oh, no matter what threat comes our way, we are going to be able to overcome them thanks to our friendship and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty basic. It's like, hey, we have these new card concepts that we want to promote. Let's build a movie around those. And literally, that is what the movie is about. The movie is about promoting these new cards they came up with. I, I'm not going to lie. That, that like new magician that they added in the Pyramid of Light card looks so cool as a kid. I was just like, yeah. oh shit, I need these. Yeah, the Pyramid of Light card is going to be awesome. We're going to win all my duels with this. I don't even think the Pyramid of Light was ever tournament legal. What was it? <laughs> shit. I don't think so. Well, even if it was, I think it'd be pretty useless because the Egyptian god cards were tournament legal back then. Now they are, but they're only legal now because the Egyptian god cards are useless. So, <laughs> the Pyramid of Light itself oh, is also Jesus. useless. Like, rules. those are not very viable cards in the card game scene. I wonder how much like, those cards are worth now, though. I don't know. We have the Pyramid of Light and the Blue Eyes Shining Dragons. So. We have several Pyramids of Light. We have like four of them. How did we get that many? Because they let you take as many cards as you wanted. Really? Yeah, at least at our huh. theater. So like, we just took like, a big stack of them. Oh, well, okay. Cool. I can't imagine that they are very expensive because, for one thing... This movie got shown in 24,000 theaters, so I'm sure that these cards were given to every kid who saw this movie 14 years ago. I and can't imagine that that's It's kind scarce. of a useless card, aside from yeah. collecting purposes. Yeah, like even the Blue Eyes by Dragon, that's a pretty 
you know, standard monster. It's not a great monster nowadays. So the blue eyes shining dragon, I can't imagine that's necessarily much more useful. I mean, the blue eyes shining dragon's cool, but it's a useful, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, they made they made the shining dragon specifically for this movie, right? So like, yeah, they made it for this movie, and they beat the they beat the villain with it. Yeah, (laughs) they beat the villain with it. Like the movie's all about the pyramid of light and the shining dragon. Let's use our shining dragon now. Insores now. Buy it. They don't. Yeah, they don't even make sure. They make sure to promote it twice. (laughs) First, they have the blue eyes shining dragon. To, like wreck Yugi for a bit, and then they have it like destroy the pyramid of light, and then they have it been beat Anubis again. See, so, like, kids, you, you using... can beat, you can beat Anubis too if you get this blue eyes shining dragon card. Yes, it's like this movie's all about promoting the shining dragon, which yes, it's, it's a cool design, but it's not very useful. And granted, Dark Side of Dimensions introduced, introduced a new Blue Eyes too, but Dark Side of Dimensions had, you know, an actual narrative goal beyond promoting cards. And the card like, that Dark they Side gave of- out with the movie wasn't that dragon. It was like the it was like an Obelisk the Tormentor card, right? Yeah, I don't know if that w- differed depending on your location. I got the exact but- same card as you, and so did my friends. So I think they only yeah. gave out that one card. Yeah, which is still a strange choice to me because it's not like Obelisk is in the movie and Kaiba uses it, but it isn't like one of the big cards I feel that was used in the battle. But regardless, yeah, this movie is just built around promoting the card game, which is why there's more of an emphasis on card game strategy and Having the cards be realistically depicted to how they actually look in real life and how the mechanics actually work with, of course, some bullshit thrown in here just to make the movie work for convenience. But yeah, this movie is all about just promoting the card game. Gotta buy those cards, kids, while supplies last. Or something. And the whole Anubis stuff is just really flimsy. Like, Anubis is a bad guy that the Pharaoh fought like, years ago, apparently. And when the puzzle was completed, Anubis also got completed. It's a, he was still sealed away in a different thing. Hon- honestly, that... honestly, they probably just like put a bunch of like Egyptian, like, uh, historical and ancient figures in a hat and just like pick one out like okay yeah this is going to be the villain of our movie Anubis I mean Anubis is the god of the dead so I guess if they wanted to choose a really evil sounding villain they would choose Anubis but Anubis of course if you actually know Egyptian mythology is not an evil god in the same way that Hades is not an evil god so it's just you know, equating... Hades isn't an evil god? Did Saint Seiya lie to me, Sid? Saint Seiya lied to you, and Disney lied to you. No! <laughs> well, even in Saint Seiya, Hades isn't, like, uh, completely evil. Like, when you learn more of his past and backstory in, like, Next Dimension and stuff. Like, Hades is a more nuanced character. Even in the original, he's a more nuanced character when you learn his whole deal there. 
Like, he is a bad guy, but he's not, like, generically evil. He's, like, in a the same way Anubis villain. is. Like, we don't know Anubis' goals outside of revenge and destruction. It's so vague and shallow. Revenge, destruction, and product placement. Exactly. That's really all he's goals are, really. So Anubis is released when I guess the Pyramid of Light is in the proximity of the Millennium Puzzle when Yugi goes to the museum. This movie is really meandering. Uh, I just want to bring that that (laughs) point again, in that we start off with this prologue, which I actually kind of like the narration there. It was never meant to happen. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. And they repeat that so many times. It's just fun how they recontextualize it each time they repeat those words. I, I got but distracted by I got distracted by the really stinted animation there. I'm just like Oh yeah. When the freaking evil duel monsters attack Yugi and then Atem shows up and like I I don't know, magics them all away. That, the animation on those monsters is so bad. But oh, also, I don't understand why there were evil dual monsters attacking Yugi. Why was there an evil Karibo of all things attacking Yugi? What Kari- Karibo's been, Karibo's been, uh, in the corner the entire time plotting his revenge against Yugi. That, I that's... mean, evil Karibo does look menacing, but at the same time, they they should have just reanimated that scene where Yugi stabs his hand covered in cash. <laughs> but it really makes no sense at all. It was something that they completely made up that wasn't in the manga. That only makes sense in the context of, oh, Yu-Gi-Oh! became about the card game. So that's why this is happening, I guess, because of stuff we know later. But this didn't actually happen, so I don't know why you're putting this in here, but that's that's kind of pointless. Uh, so, yeah, and then the really pointless stuff is when Yugi is being hounded by all those random duelists who want the god cards, and we have this long sequence of Joey and Tristan dueling these rando people, and it's funny, a lot of the jokes there with Joey, like, there's some really bad puns and stuff that made me smile and crack up, but it goes on for too long and it has no purpose because those duelists serve no purpose. They're just there to force Yugi to go and hide in the museum and then have, I guess, him activate the Pyramid of Light. But it didn't seem like Anubis needed Yugi to come and see the Pyramid of Light and have the puzzle in the proximity because Anubis' ghost... Like, he slips the Pyramid of Light into the deck that Pegasus had, like, the previous night. So, apparently he could have, like, just moved around and done stuff this whole time. So, I don't know why he waited until now if he could have made his move at any point before. It makes really no sense. It also makes no sense why he would put the Pyramid of Light into a deck of Pegasus when... Couldn't he just put it in Kaiba's deck right away? Yeah, and I also don't understand how he knows that 
Pegasus and Kaiba have a connection to Yugi. Like, was his original plan to prey on Pegasus' psyche, since he is the creator of dual monsters, and then somehow have that work itself around to him giving the card to Yugi? Was that the original plan? And then when Kaiba took the card, he was like, oh, screw it? Or did he know that Kaiba was going to challenge Pegasus to a duel and win the duel and take the card? Like, I don't understand how he took that into account. How he knew about the Kaiba-Yugi rivalry. Well, 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 Sid, 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 I think you're underestimating the holy product promotion power of the blue-eyed shining dragon. This was all part of Anubis' plan, Sid. But Anubis didn't create the blue-eyed shining dragon. No, no, that's what he wants you to think. That's what he wants you to think. But Anubis was secretly working with Forkins the entire time. Well, I wouldn't doubt that, but it still doesn't make sense how we knew any of that stuff in the context of this film. Because he should not know any of the circumstances with what's going on with Yugi and Kaiba. I mean, I guess he might have seen it on TV since he's a ghost and I guess can just get around. But... I mean, I mean, those ghosts gotta watch something while they're... But... If that's the case, again, he should have just given that card to Kaiba directly. Yeah. Because I don't know how he understood or learned that Kaiba was going to even see Pegasus in the near future anyway. He felt the sexual tension between them. And just like, okay, yeah, let's put it (laughs) to Pegasus' deck, yeah. I really love that line when Pegasus greets Kaiba. He's like, oh, if it isn't my old friend Kaiba. And Kaiba's like, we were never friends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love Pegasus' attitudes throughout this entire movie. Like, he has some sick burns to Kaiba's. Like, when Anubis is defeated, Pegasus is like, no one could come back from a beating that bad. Well, except for Kaiba, that is. <laughs> oh, Pegasus was a treat. I'm glad that the anime kept him alive for whatever reason they did. Because guess, yeah. he was one of the best parts of this movie. Thank and you, it was anime not like a, Bukora, for not killing Pegasus. Well, yeah, thank the writers who decided, <laughs> oh, we shouldn't kill off Pegasus. It wasn't even the American writers, it was like the Japanese yeah, guys. Cause, cause because he's he in was the in sequel. the he's in like GX and 5Ds. Well, yeah, I mean, he was in the Ori Kalkos arc, which aired in Japan in 2003, so four kids, like, had already known that Pegasus would still be alive at this point, because the Japanese had already kept him alive, so. Hmm. That's something I thought that four kids was responsible for, Pegasus still being alive in the anime, but no, that was something that the Japanese writers decided themselves. Even though Pegasus' debt is, like, a big thing... In the manga, manga. Oh yeah. my god, his because death in the manga is so fucked up. Well, not only that, I mean, that's the whole premise of Yu-Gi-Oh! R, is that people who really respected Pegasus are targeting Yugi and Kaiba for you know get to get revenge for Pegasus's death. So you know that has lasting consequences in the manga continuity. Hmm. But in the anime continuity, it's like a completely different story. I think that's why they kind of sidestep it in Dark Side of the Dimensions. They don't acknowledge it, whether he's alive or dead. So that the movie can work as like a epilogue to both continuities. Even yeah. though it 
he- more heavily draws on the manga continuity for s- definite things. Yeah. In terms of like references and stuff. Like you can really tell that Kazuki Takahashi wrote it rather than the anime yeah. writers. I mean, like where Duke Devlin is working, you know, with that clown guy, that's something in the manga. So Yeah. I think I really like that Kaiba Pegasus duel because again they have such great banter during that and then Pegasus's tune monsters are really fun animated. I, I remember really liking the tune monsters as a kid, like Tune Dark Magician Girl and like Tune uh, Blue Eyes White Dragon. They have a lot of personality. Yeah, I was like, I want to get these cards. Why, why can't I find these cards in the booster packs? Yeah, those are pretty rare cards. Yeah. More rare than Blue Eyes, I feel. I'm pretty sure Blue Eyes were pretty common. Yep. Because they were so popular. Yeah. We definitely have blue eyes. We had a lot of blue eyes. I'm sure. But I think that Pegasus Kaiba Duel is probably even more fun than the Yugi Kaiba Duel. Because the Yugi Kaiba Duel, that's interrupted by all this nonsense where they're in, where Yugi and Joey and Tristan are in the Millennium Puzzle and fighting skeletons and stuff and it's like you know some of that a lot of it is pretty funny stuff but like the actual duel between Atem and Kaiba is more interesting and so I'm like oh they're actually using more concrete strategies and that actually makes the game feel a little more interesting so I actually do appreciate that about it is that like for once they kind of get the card game a little right in the movie yeah in the anime but it also is most of the movie, so it's kind of boring to watch at, after a certain point. And then when Anubis kind of takes over for Kaiba, that's when it kind of devolves into being really uninteresting because and Anubis is not interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's when it's nonsense. Like suddenly. The dual monsters are real, and they can summon them to protect them from, like, falling concrete and stuff. And I don't understand, like, the logic there, how they can do this without the holograms, how the dual monsters are becoming real because of Anubis. That doesn't make any sense. I like Anubis's Chimera uh, Pyramid Sphinx creatures. They're kind of creepy, but... You know, they're not the best animated, and they're also pretty easily dispatched when all of a sudden done. So, ultimately, friendship saves the day. Taya goes into the Millennium Puzzle. They fight some zombie mummy guys. Yugi uses this random dagger to pierce the eye in... The tomb because of some kind of prophecy, I guess. And then all this stuff happens where they find Anubis. It's, you know, it's what it is. I wish I could really tell you all the specific details of the strategies of the duel and all of that. But it's been a week and a lot of that has already left my memory. But I do think that Kaiba's strategy was pretty good in this movie. In terms of his duel with Yugi. And I do think it was kind of cool that Kaiba was planning to 
beat Yugi with his own god cards, and it's like such a Kaiba thing to do. He yeah. has such pride and ego. He says, like, I'm not course... going to beat them with a pyramid of light. I'm going to get rid of this dumb card and bring back the god cards to destroy yeah. Yugi's ego. I will be of the course. ultimate victor because I'm Kaiba. Of course Kaiba would think like that. And I like that it kind of comments on how well Yugi and Yami know Kaiba, that Yami can immediately recognize this and say, hey, I know what Kaiba's planning. I know what he's going to do against me. He was going to destroy the Pyramid of Light and use my gods against me. So I'm going to use his own strategy. I'm going to destroy the Pyramid of Light with the Shining Dragon and use my god cards against you. So I thought that was really cool. As Kaiba said in Dark Side of Dimensions, me and the Pharaoh have a special bond! And that was evident as far back as this movie, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but yeah, the movie just ends after they beat Anubis. Yeah, it literally just fades to black. Off. Like, they, there's not even like a transition to the ending, it literally just fades to black. Apparently the Japanese cut of this movie is longer, but I don't think we got that longer cut. Because this was definitely pretty quick, whole thing said and done. Hmm. There's a lot of criticisms you can try at this movie that are all completely valid. But for as much as we've ragged on it, I do want to stress that I found the act of watching this movie incredibly fun. I really enjoyed myself and had a good time with it. Yeah, it's it's a really fun, like, nostalgia movie, I feel. Despite. Definitely. I mean, if you grow up with Yu-Gi-Oh! And you remember this movie from your past, like, it's really fun to sit and watch this movie and just laugh your way through. Because it is full of laughs, both genuine and unintentional. Like, and I definitely think it's better than how poorly reviewed it is on critics' websites, because this movie is, like, very universally panned. It has, like, 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a lot of bad reviews on most critics' websites. Apparently, it was the lowest-rated animated film on Metacritic until the Emoji movie. What the hell? Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes is, like, the second lowest animated film of the 2000s behind Happily Never After. So this was a very badly reviewed movie. But honestly, for Yu-Gi-Oh! fans, I think that there's a lot of entertainment value to be found in it. Yeah, it's a giant commercial for the card game. But looking back at it as an adult, like, there's a lot of silliness and nostalgia to enjoy in it. Like, just the dynamic between Kaiba and Yugi makes for a lot of great entertainment in terms of how their duel progresses. Kaiba and Pegasus, too. That was incredibly fun to watch. And it is kind of satisfying to see Kaiba beat Pegasus, too, in the film. I remember I thought that was pretty cool as a kid. Mm. But, yeah... I definitely think that this film is way better than the critical reception to it was at the time. It's not a good film for legitimate reasons, but I do think it is more entertaining than most people give it credit for. Yeah, at least the dub version. Yeah, if you're looking for a legitimately good Yu-Gi-Oh movie, you should just go watch Dark Side of Dimensions. But if you're looking for some yeah. dumb fun, yeah, you can't go wrong with the the Yu-Gi-Oh movie. <laughs> yeah. 
And we're going to move on to the premiere of Reigns in just a second. But first I want to touch upon the credits of this film. So over the credits, they play a bunch of the songs off the soundtrack, which got me to thinking, yeah, during the movie itself, they don't play any of these songs, except for You're Not Me. Which You're was not the best me song. Yeah, they play the best song, which, hey, good on them. But that's the only song they actually played during the movie. And the rest of this, the soundtrack that they made for the movie, like, they just put it in the ending credits. They don't even play the full songs. They just do, like, 30-second snippets of it to get as, through as many songs as possible. I guess just to promote the soundtrack, which I guess it worked because we bought the soundtrack, and I definitely listened to that every night for a while as a kid. Yeah, and I that still listen to like You're Not Me like... even now. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the sound again, the soundtrack is the best thing to come out of this movie. You're Not Me, of course, being the best, best thing to come out of the movie. But the soundtrack definitely is better than the movie itself. I think even <laughs> critically, I think even critically people agree that the soundtrack was better than the movie itself. And <laughs> rated that more highly. Apparently, the Black Eyed Peas did songs for the soundtrack, which yeah, they I'm did. only realizing in retrospect. So, yeah, I mean, this had some legit talent working on it, I guess, in addition to the fact that all the songs were probably just written by the four kids' executives. But they actually got, like, some pretty decent artists to do songs for this that, were, that made really fun songs to listen to. That's probably one thing I will always like about 4Kids is that they knew how to create really good songs based on their properties that as a kid were was a lot of fun to listen to. And it's still quite a treat to listen to even as an adult. Because some of the songs hold up well, and then other songs maybe have aged badly, but are still a lot of fun to listen to because of the cheesiness of them. Yeah, if only they didn't use the exact same tracks as background music in every single one of their shows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Probably why the actual score for the movie was never released. I think it was just generic tracks from the show anyway. Yeah. But yeah. I think that the soundtrack is better than the movie, and I would recommend that much more readily than <laughs> I would the movie. Go to buy the soundtrack, you guys. You can probably still find it on iTunes. Maybe. I know I definitely want to listen to the CD we had of it right after seeing the film, but didn't get time to, of course. Maybe uh, this summer I'll pop it in and relive the nostalgia. Do we still have that CD? I'm sure we do. I mean, we didn't discard it at any point. Yeah. We have this big album of CDs. It's probably... Okay, oh yeah. I, remember, I think we somehow broke the disc case for it, then we just put it in that big, like, folder with all the other CDs. I don't know if we ever bought the legitimate... No, we did buy the legitimate disc, yeah. Hmm, yeah, we bought we bought the There's actual... Some... We bought it like a Target. Yeah, yeah. So we did buy the actual soundtrack. Because sometimes... Back when we were kids, we would just get the library copies of a CD. Yeah, and then, then we'd, we'd have rip Dad, that CD. like, burn it onto, like, a yeah. CD for us. So, like, for Pokemon, for instance, I think we have most of those soundtracks from, like, the Kanto, Orange Islands, and Johto years. But we don't own any of those actual CDs. We just burn those CDs from library copies. And I, we own the... 
Pyramid of Light soundtrack legitimately. I don't know if we own the music to Duel by soundtrack legitimately. I know we have that ripped at the very least because I definitely remember listening to that a lot as a kid. Hmm. Yeah. But moving on from the music of Yu-Gi-Oh. Let us talk about the premiere of Yu-Gi-Oh! Reigns, which was shown alongside the film. And I gotta say that even though I was very confused at the start when it was like about the weird internet creatures fighting this nebulous force, and I didn't understand what they were, and who we were supposed to focus on, that sequence was confusing. When we actually got to like the stuff with the human characters and Yusaku, I was very impressed at how far the dubbing has improved for Yu-Gi-Oh! in terms of being a little more fateful. I mean, they throw in some of their own jokes in there, of course. Like, oh, you know what's crazy? They refer to a sand... The hot dog is a sandwich! Can you believe that? You know, oh they, they throw in their own dumb jokes. But yeah, for the I most part... It, it seems pretty faithful, a lot more faithful than it used to be with originally. I, I think I think part of it is that now that uh, Yu-Gi-Oh is a lot less mainstream and it is just a lot more core fans, there's less of like a push by, like push by like producers, like both in the U.S. and Japan, to make it more like Americanized. So yeah, like, I think most of the characters kept their Japanese names. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think that it's just the hardcore fans. I'm pretty sure that they still air Yu-Gi-Oh! on Nicktoons. I'm pretty sure that Nicktoons is, like, still where Yu-Gi-Oh! gets shown. Yeah, but, like, how many people would actually watch on Nicktoons? Kids who have Nicktoons. Yeah, but Nicktoons and isn't, like, a, like a, wi- a widely, like, available channel. Sure, but I'm sure they find a way to get it onto kids' eyes. <laughs> That's true. But I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh! as just an overall brand internationally has become a lot more accessible, which is why we have, like, an actual Yu-Gi-Oh! ring simulcast and stuff like that. Like, they're acknowledging that it's not, like, just this Americanized product that people want. It's the original Japanese product that people care about. Yeah, I mean, they recognize that there's a market for both the Japanese and the dub. Like, they recognize that there are adults who will watch the Japanese version, and there are kids who will watch the dub and then gravitate towards the Japanese version, so they can, like, uh, they can appease two audiences and keep more fans around that way. Yeah. Because they notice that the adult fans are moving on to the Japanese version. So... That's one thing I give 4K Media credit for, is that they recognized that there was an audience for the Japanese version of Yu-Gi-Oh! And they addressed it by having Yu-Gi-Oh! be legally available in Japanese. Like, you can go on Crunchyroll and watch all the Yu-Gi-Oh! series in Japanese. If only it's Pokemon International would take notes. That's exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> I wish Pokemon International recognized that there was the same market for that that people would watch the Japanese version and that wouldn't, like, take eyes away from the American version. Really, Kids really you're still only watch losing that. money by not doing a simulcast for Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wish that Pokemon International 
would consider that. I mean, with Yu-Gi-Oh! as a precedent, I really wish that they would have realized this already, that this was, you know, viable, but sadly, Pokemon International has not come to that conclusion for themselves yet. But, you know, luckily, 4K Media did, and so Yu-Gi-Oh! Reigns was the first Yu-Gi-Oh! series to be simulcast from the beginning. So, people have been able to watch it ever since it started on Crunchyroll. And now the dub is coming out pretty soon. We got a preview of it alongside this movie. And it seemed pretty straightforward to me. It seems a little bit of a mix of 5Ds and then a virtual world concept in the same vein as Mega Man and D-Warrior. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt too. Yeah, basically they go into a digital world, a virtual reality, to fight dual monsters, battles. So, it's really it. And, of course, you know, the best virtual reality duelists are celebrities. So, they make sure to highlight two characters who will definitely be main characters in the future. as like Who are, like, already celebrities. And then the main character, Yusaku is kind of like a rogue duelist who <laughs> battles in disguise under the alias of Playmaker. And he, like, changes his hair color when he goes into Link Reigns. Honestly, just... that's a pretty bad disguise. Like, you could tell it's him. <laughs> I mean, his face is the same, but and I don't know. His I hair guess... is the same, too. It's just a different color. I guess. It's a little... Different in terms of how it's styled from what I remembered. But I think that the idea is that in the virtual reality, they are taking avatars of themselves and not like their real selves. So it might look a little different, but the show doesn't really like depict that as being any different from how they look in real life. Like it's still like the same aesthetic. It's not like in the virtual reality, they have a different kind of design sense. Hmm. But basically, Yusaku is fighting against these hackers called the Knights of Hanoi, and he encounters an AI that went rogue because the Knights of Hanoi attacked it and, and, and tried to take control of his buddies, so he defected and sealed them away somehow and so then he's been on the run and they're after him and then like a corporation is after him too but he gets trapped by Yusaku in a clever uh, strategy by on Yusaku's part to like manipulate the path that he's taking through cyberspace so that he would end up cornered in Yusaku's dual disc so he teams up with Yusaku and then he is able to help Yusaku during duels as, like, an AI program that can give advice and also create storms inside the virtual world that allow for speed duels, which is basically card games on surfboards in the wind. So basically, Eureka 7 with card games. (laughs) Eureka 7 with card games in the interwebs. Exactly. 
Makes so much sense. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that from what I could gather of the people around us, it seems that they ultimately enjoyed it as well. Like, I think like us, they were confused at first. But I remember one of the girls was definitely like, oh, I was just getting good at the end. So I think I felt the same way in that it was like, it confused me a bit at first. But by the end, I quite liked it. I thought it was fun. But I don't know if I would really like seek out the show uh, myself, you know, watch the sub or dub. Like, I'm certainly open to it, but I probably won't like go out of my way to watch it in the near future. Chris Larios of Weekly Manga Recap has been watching it and has given it some high praise. So that has me a little more curious about it. But overall, I think it's pretty straightforward as what I would expect from Yu-Gi-Oh! these days. It seems pretty straightforward as a premise as 5Ds and Arc 5. We don't talk about Zexel. Exactly. That's why I didn't mention it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, like, I'm not sure if I'm going to check out the... I might check out the simulcast of the anime, but whenever this gets uh, its eventual V-Jump adaption... A manga, I'll probably check that out because I'm sure Shonen Jump will publish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty inevitable. I don't know when the Arc 5 manga is going to end, though. I mean, generally, like, from a pattern, it's like the V Jump adaptions generally start like a year after the anime start. So, we'll probably see one pretty soon. But yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think the Zexel manga took a while to end after that anime started. So I don't I don't know when the Arc 5 manga is really going to end. I mean, it seems like it's in climax mode, but for all I know, it could go on until next year. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, uh, I think that's about it for Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid of Light. Talking about our experience with the theatrical screening of that film. Seeing it again for the first time in 14 years. It's quite an experience, and I enjoyed that experience quite a lot. It was okay. Eh, I think it was a little more than okay. I thought it was pretty special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It would be really fun if they were to show, like... Pokemon in theaters again. I mean, they or they did show Pokemon the first movie in theaters again, like a year or two ago. Did they? Yeah. Shit, but I, I would that. really enjoy. Yeah, I wish I could have seen that. I really wish that uh, they showed more Pokemon films in theaters again, like the old ones, because those were films that I missed out on seeing in theaters way back in the day. I would like that opportunity to actually go see it in the theater. With other Pokemon fans, I think that'd be special. But aside from that, I wonder, like, what anime films from our childhood I would like to see in the theater. Because, I don't know. Uh, I mean, aside from this movie, I don't know if there were any other anime films we saw in theaters as a child. I know that there were definitely some screenings I wanted to go to. Like, I remember that back in the day they did a double feature. I think it was Return of Cooler and Fusion Reborn. 
Yeah, it was a yeah. weird choice for a double feature, but that's what they did. And besides from that, I think they did a Digimon screening for like that edited compilation dub they did, where they took those first three Japanese Digimon movies and edited together as a mess of a film for North American audiences. Yeah, I would, I would go see that just for the novelty of it, but. Yeah, we didn't really get a whole lot of theatrical anime screenings, I feel, that weren't, like, Ghibli films when we were kids, you know? At least we weren't aware of them. Like, now, like, if there's the a screening down in Minneapolis, we have the ability to go ourselves, like, and drive there while as kids. It basically would have to be at our local, like, Eden Prairie Theater, or else we just wouldn't go. yeah. I'm really grateful that nowadays we have so many anime films coming out. It's just a real treat to be able to be see such a variety of anime films in theaters. Yeah. And oftentimes more than one a week. Like that week we saw Yu-Gi-Oh! We, I, we saw Yu-Gi-Oh! on Sunday. And then I saw... Initial D on Tuesday and free on Wednesday. Three anime movies in theaters in a week. Crazy. Awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I'm so happy that there can be weeks like that now because anime screenings are so much more common. I think I've been to an anime-related screening almost every week since the beginning of the year, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, last week I, I also went to three. Unfortunately, free wasn't like... Showing in my area, but I saw Yu-Gi-Oh! Then Initial D, and then a screening of a Belladonna of Sadness, of all things. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's just really cool that we, we now ha- live in a time where, like, I can see something as out there as, like, Mazinger Z. I never thought I'd be able to see a Mazinger Z film in theaters, of all things. Like, that that's mm-hmm. insane to me. Indeed. Indubitably. At the local AMC, of all places, too. Not even in an art theater. At a AMC yeah. for a suburban neighborhood. Yeah, it's, it's just, crazy. Like, really cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I think that's really all we have to say about Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of... No. I think that's all we have to say about Yu-Gi-Oh! The Pyramid of Light. <laughs> <laughs> Truly a memorable classic film. Yes, that yes. That, that's why stick we stick in our memories. That's why we went to so many tangents. Truly. Oh uh, yeah. But I think it's about time to wrap up. So where can the good people find you, B-Lord? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at B-Lord-G-T-Z. That is B-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. Um, and yeah, I usually am just uh, posting about uh, whatever manga I'm reading, whatever, whatever uh, anime or game I'm playing or watching. Um, and yeah, I, I'm thinking of doing a few like read-through threads of uh, out-of-print manga. Um, I was doing a one on Lupin the Third for a while, but then I just kind of stopped because it got busy. So I'm going to try to start up those again. Maybe do a few uh, old uh, Tokyo Pop manga, actually, since uh, we have a lot of those that I haven't read. 
and are very obscure but very good manga that uh, I think need uh, more recognition. Which ones are considering doing transport? Um, specifically uh, Harlem Beat and uh, Beat X, since we own completely all those, and actually I got, uh, for the longest time, like, we've had volumes 1 through 13 of Beat X, then a French version of volume 14 of Beat X, and then volumes 15 to 16 of Beat X, but I miraculously got a deal on, uh, volume 14 of Beat X in English. A volume that usually goes for, like, $200, I got it for, like, 20 which... I, I don't know how, but I got it, and I'm happy. So we now, oh, I nice. now have a proper collection of Kuramata's follow-up to his amazing series, Saint Seiya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Saint Seiya, I have a Saint Seiya Saintia show that I am currently reading and hope to write a review of. Wait, did and you take that with already you? Up. No, I it would be. And oh. maybe that'll be out by the time you're listening to this podcast. I don't know when this podcast is going to come out. But as for me, you can find me at Lumnamiyasha on Twitter, on my anime list, on Animation Revelation. Basically, anywhere you can find a Lumnamiyasha, you can find me. And as for the show, you can find Manga Mavericks at Manga underscore Mavericks on Twitter, MangaMavericks.tumblr.com, on our Apple Podcast page and on YouTube under the channel named Manga Mavericks. But yeah, you can please rate and review us on iTunes. That really helps the show grow. Please also subscribe and watch our content on YouTube. That also helps our YouTube channel grow. We got lots of cool stuff coming to that channel specifically that I'm excited for. So please keep an eye out for that stuff. And you can always find our podcast first on allcomic.com. That's all-comic. You can follow that at all of this comic on Twitter as well. And, yeah, that's where our podcasts go up first. But you can also find them on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And basically anywhere you can listen to podcasts. That We're also on there, so you can choose your podcast listening device of choice to catch up on the show. And uh, you, if you want to send any specific feedback to us, you can send that to us at mongamerics at gmail.com. We love hearing your guys' feedback and any comments you have. What were your experiences with Yu-Gi-Oh! and Yu-Gi-Oh! The Pyramid of Life? Did you go see the re-release in theaters? What did you think of the film after such a long time? Since seeing it since a childhood, probably, or maybe you've seen this film more recently than we had. But what's your theatrical experience like? We like hearing your guys' experiences, your thoughts, and stuff. And definitely suggest stuff for us to you in the future, too. We're always looking for that kind of stuff. But I think that about does it for today. This has been another Manga Marks at Movies, and we will see you in the next one. Sayonara! Later!